please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. This morning, we come to the end of our series surrounding the life of Elijah. I didn't want to call it a sermon series on Elijah because Elijah is just the servant. Also, in some of the passages, he hasn't even been there. Sometimes it's been more about Ahab than about Elijah. I definitely don't want to call it a sermon series on Ahab. But the hero of this section of Scripture and every section of Scripture is the Lord. And one way we are reminded of this is when God's servants are taken away. God calls them to be home with Him, and yet God continues to minister to His people after His servants are gone. And that is what we will see in this passage. This reminds us why we ought never to be too attached to mere men no matter how great they might appear to be as servants. Because our hope does not rest on mere men. Our hope and our faith rest in the one that they serve. And he is with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me pray before we read. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might understand this passage of Scripture, that you might refresh us with your gospel, that you might point us to your Son and through him to yourself. We pray that you would bless us as we seek your face and change us. Feed us on the pure milk of the word that by it we might grow with respect to salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over 
on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is God's word. Now the prophet Elijah had a remarkable ministry. It seems that since the time of Moses, more than 500 years earlier, no prophet had arisen in Israel whose word and whose ministry had been accompanied by such miraculous signs. Elijah came out of nowhere. We hear nothing about his birth, nothing about his parents. We don't know where he went to seminary. We don't know if he was married. Did he have kids? Was he old, like Moses? Was he young, like John the Baptist? Was he super old, like Enoch? We don't know. But in some ways, he was like all three of those men, Moses, John the Baptist, Enoch. He was great. The Old Testament actually ends by speaking about how Elijah would be sent to prepare the way of the Lord when Christmas time came, the first Christmas. This, Jesus would teach, was fulfilled by John the Baptist. And like Enoch, long ago, Elijah did not die. This is an amazing, unexplainable thing, as far as I'm concerned. He didn't die, but was just taken right up into heaven. And we have all kinds of questions about that, and I, I don't know the answers, but it is amazing, isn't it? The only two men we know of who went to be with the Lord without ever dying, Enoch and Elijah. And then Elijah was in so many ways like Moses. He went 40 days without food like Moses, like Jesus later on. He went to meet with the Lord at Mount Horeb, the same place as Moses met 
with the Lord. Interestingly enough, it would be Moses and Elijah years later who would show up again in the New Testament speaking with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, Elijah would perform amazing miracles like Moses. And here in this chapter, his life on earth ends in almost the exact place where Moses died. Just to be able to be compared to these great men show you that Elijah must have been great. Consider for a moment, if you remember, some of the things that he did. He shows up and he prayed that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain. Through Elijah's word, God caused the widow's oil and the flour to multiply until the famine was over. When the widow's son died, Elijah prayed that God would raise the child from the dead, and it happened. The very first resurrection in all of Scripture. On Mount Carmel, Elijah stood boldly against 400 prophets of Baal, and the Lord there proved himself to be the true God. Elijah might be the only person who can say that he was fed breakfast for years by a starving widow, he was fed breakfast by ravens, and he was fed breakfast by the angel of the Lord. A lot of things happened to Elijah, and we could go on and on. Elijah crosses the river here on dry ground, and he doesn't die, but flies up to heaven in a whirlwind. That's got to put you in pretty elite company. Now, why am I saying all these things about Elijah's greatness? It's so that we will consider how great a loss it must have felt when he was taken away. What a loss. Consider also at that time how few followers of the Lord there were in those days. How needy they were. How corrupt was their king. Consider how weak and how persecuted God's people were in those days. The nation was corrupt. And if God's people were corrupt, corrupt on earth, what does that mean for the rest of the planet? For everybody else. Elijah is basically the leader of God's people on earth, and he is taken away. And yet, one way or another, all people, all of God's people come to an end on earth. His days must come to an end. Whether he dies or whether he's taken away, his time is, is finite. He was simply a regular man with a nature like ours. And in this chapter, God calls his servant home. You know it's coming from the very first verse. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. But our passage still builds up to it, step by step, in this long journey that they took. Elijah and Elisha are going to go on a trip in our passage. Elijah has, so to speak, a one-way ticket. But Elisha has a round-trip flight, if I can say it that way. You see, they start 
I'm not going to tell you to look at your map, but it would make more sense if you looked at your map uh, in your Bible. They start in Gilgal, at Gilgal in Samaria, and then they go pretty much south down to Bethel. And then from Bethel, they kind of go southeast to Jericho. And then they go east, crossing the Jordan River uh, and the, uh, to the, the east side of the Jordan. And that, right around there, is where Mount Nebo is. That's where Moses was when he died. That's where Elijah is taken up, somewhere near there. What's interesting about this trip is that they're going out of Israel along the same path that Joshua brought the people in to Israel when they first entered the land. You might remember Moses died on the other side of the Jordan River at the end of Deuteronomy, and God buried him. They crossed the river, and the first place they encountered was Jericho. Right? You remember this story in Joshua? And then they went up to Ai, which is near Bethel, and then they went up to Samaria, where they stood on two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and six of the tribes proclaimed the curses from one of the mountains, and six of the tribes proclaimed the blessings from the other. And when Jesus met with the woman at the well in Samaria, it was between these mountains. And the, the, the Samaritans had built their own temple up on one of those mountains. And that's what she's referring to when she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and the Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. So this is the place that they went to, and this is the path that they, they did in reverse uh, when, they, when they, Joshua, I mean, when Elijah and Elisha leave. So Elijah takes a specific path from Samaria to the east of the bank of the Jordan, and then he goes up into heaven. That's his one-way, his one-way ticket. I said, Elisha has a round trip. And so he goes back the same path. We didn't read it, but if you were to continue reading throughout the rest of this chapter, you would see that is the case. Elisha starts on the east bank of the Jordan River. Then in verse 18, you'll find him in Jericho, where he performs a miracle of mercy, purifying water, a miracle of blessing. And then in verse 23, he continues up to Bethel, where there is this miracle of cursing, a miracle of judgment. These young boys come out, and they mock him. And two she-bears come out of the woods, and they maul 42 of these boys. They mock him for being a bald, bald preacher. Go up, you bald head, and there are probably some great applications. I'm not going to go there. You want me to, I won't. From Bethel, he goes up to Mount Carmel, and then back to Samaria, which is where they started in the last verse of this chapter, a round trip. And what is the point of that? For one, this focuses our, our attention on Elijah's ascension and Elisha taking that role. The first verse focus our attention on that as well. Secondly, this means that Elisha, Elisha is retracing Elijah's steps, performing miracles of blessing and cursing all along the way, reminding you of what happened with God's people as they entered the promised land, also reminding you that God is still with his people, 
there is still a ministry of blessing for those who come to the Lord and a ministry of cursing. You might remember when, when Elijah was on Mount Horeb, God had promised him that Elisha would come and there would be judgment coming from Elisha. That's being fulfilled here. It's a demonstration that Elisha has now taken over Elijah's role. I mean, he comes back across the water dressed in Elijah's clothes. He tore his clothes in two, and he comes back wearing Elijah's clothes. On the way back, he is the new Elijah. And finally, we see that Elisha is retracing Joshua's steps where Joshua took over for Moses at the same spot. There's, this will test your, your biblical knowledge a little bit, but you remember Joshua, how devoted he was to Moses, how he was always there waiting outside the tent of meeting, just like Elisha is devoted to Elijah. And their names mean the same thing. Joshua's name is the Old Testament way of saying Jesus. That is Jesus' name in Hebrew, Yeshua. It means salvation is of the Lord. Elisha's name means salvation is of God. They have the, the same meaning of their name. They, they follow up this great leader and continue the ministry. Uh, and it was there at the same river that, that God, that Elisha takes over for Elijah. It will be at this river also that Jesus, our Messiah, takes over the ministry from John the Baptist, the second Elijah. Now, let's look back at our passage. It seems that everybody along the way knows what's going to happen. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about the fact that today, Elijah is leaving. Nobody wants to mention it to Elijah. They, they say to Elisha, three times we hear it, you know today that the Lord is taking away your master. And he says, yes, I know. Be quiet. Probably hard to keep secrets from a bunch of prophets. But everybody's talking about it. The sons of the prophets in verse 3 know it. Elisha knows it. And Elisha continues to say, yes, I know, be still. It happens at Bethel in verse 3, then Jericho at verse 5. And this probably gives you just a little window of, of some speculative insight as to what Elijah and Elisha have been doing the last few years. It's a blessing to see that there is a school of the sons of the prophets at Bethel and at Jericho that God has been raising up, not just Elijah and Elisha, but uh, groups of these, these guys, it was almost like seminary students in Israel that probably Elijah and Elisha had spent time training. Um, but at each of these places, we just, they just show up here just to say, uh, just to ask Elisha, do you know that your master is being taken away? But like Ruth with Naomi, like, like Joshua with Moses, Elisha will not leave. He is devoted. It's so solemn, isn't it? These two men walking together, they've worked together for so long, and they both know that this 
is their last day together on earth. Nobody will mention it. They walk together like a father and a son on their last day. What heavy thoughts must be in their minds? For Elijah, he is about to enter a heavenly world. I, don't, I can't even imagine what's on his mind. For Elisha, he knows he's about to be left behind. And that this great burden of leading God's people on earth is probably going to fall on his shoulders, and he will be without his mentor. Elijah must be looking forward to being with the Lord, but how much work is still to be done for God's kingdom? I remember how Paul was torn. You know, should is it better to go to be with the Lord? If I go to be with the Lord, it's better for me. If I stay here, it's better for the church. He's torn between these two good options. I wonder if that was the case for Elijah, thinking about the needy state of the church to be left behind. Both of these men must put their trust in the Lord at this time, as always. Now, during the last part of the trip, 50 of the sons of the prophets followed them at a distance to watch from the the western bank of the Jordan. There they stop. Perhaps they can see as Elijah takes off his mantle, rolls it up, and strikes the river with his mantle. And the water divided into two. So they walked across the land on dry sea. Why? Why why is this miracle necessary? Can they not find a boat? But, But by doing this, everyone's mind must immediately be brought back to Joshua when he crossed the water on dry land. And when Moses led God's people through dry land, through the Red Sea. I mean, this doesn't happen very often in Scripture. This is the third time. And these two men walk over on dry land alone, crossing the river. And now the time has come for the silence to be broken. Elijah says, and this seems to be Elisha's reward for his devotedness, staying with him all this time. Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He knows that he is going to have to take up essentially Elijah's role. He wants the spirit that Elijah had, that he might lead God's great people. Now, what does this mean, a double portion? Does it mean that he wants twice as much as Elijah had? And if so, how could Elijah give twice as much as he has? I think Deuteronomy 21, 17 helps us here. See, when a father would pass away, each son was given part of the inheritance, but the firstborn son was given a double portion. The firstborn son was the one who would step into the father's role and become responsible for the family. Now, there are many sons of the prophets who are mentioned in this passage, but Elisha is set apart from them. 
Elisha is like the firstborn son, and he wants to be given the resources he needs to follow in Elijah's footsteps. And of course, this is a difficult thing to ask. For one, Elijah can't give it. God is the only one who can give the things that Elijah has and the things that Elisha needs. Secondly, Elijah's role is a difficult one. But this is what Elisha asked for, something that no man can give. But the Lord was willing to give it. In fact, he had already called Elisha to be Elijah's successor when Elijah came and threw that same mantle over Elisha's shoulders years before. So it came about that as these two men of God were walking and talking, they... uh, A wind came, and chariots of fire came, and horses from God came, and separated these two men. And Elijah was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. I'm sure Elisha never forgot that. You know, if you saw somebody going up into heaven, not in a plane, not in a spaceship, but just in a whirlwind, This always is a reminder to you that this world is not all there is. It was a reminder when Enoch went up into heaven that there was something more that we were made for. This is not the end. Someone being taken from you is not the end. There is something else, something that they look forward to, something that encourages you on in all your walk and struggle in this life. Knowing it's temporary. Hundreds of years later, we see Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus about Jesus' upcoming exodus on the Mount of Transfiguration. These guys did not live anywhere near the same time. They all knew each other in heaven. They, they were talking about the mighty things that the Lord was going to do. That is a wonderful encouragement, I think. To think one day, brothers and sisters, you will be taken up. One day when the Lord returns, we will meet him in the air. Doesn't matter whether you've already passed away or whether you remain. We will meet him. We were made for more than this world has to offer. And that must be an encouragement And through all the struggles. Now, a chariot of fire and horses have come. I always imagined, I guess, when I was a kid, maybe I saw a picture of like Elijah, Elijah like driving this chariot of fire. He's not taken up in a chariot of fire. He's taken up in a whirlwind, it seems. Um, but from Elijah's perspective, what a wonderful moment. His work is over. And he goes to be home with the Lord. What a wonderful testimony to all believers. This is why, the only reason I can think of why Elijah doesn't die, to be an encouragement for us. He certainly didn't didn't deserve this, but a reminder to us that we were made for another place. And God knows how to bring his people there safely. Yet from Elisha's perspective, this is a sad scene as well, For now, he is alone. Elisha cries out, 
My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And it seems rather obvious from the, the passage that he's speaking of the chariots of fire and the horses that were there. That was the most, it seems obvious, but I think that this might actually not be what he's referring to. Because if you were to continue reading, by the time you get to 2 Kings 13, it is now Elisha's time to die. And the king of Israel sees Elisha sick. And he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Talking about Elisha. So perhaps this is a way of speaking of what Elisha and what Elijah meant to Israel. He was their rock. He was their tower of defense. We just read in the last passage how 102 soldiers had come to capture Elijah and were burnt to a crisp, that the armies of nations were nothing compared to these men. It was said of John Knox that the queen feared nothing more than John Knox's prayers. And so perhaps this is a reference, I am not totally sure, but to that role that Elijah had as the defense of Israel, but now taken away. Either way, losing Elijah was, from a worldly perspective, devastating. God's people in Israel were few. They were oppressed. How do you replace Elijah? How do you fill those shoes? I imagine 500 years earlier, Joshua must have felt the same thing when Moses was taken away. How do you replace Moses? You think about it, Moses was 120 years old when he was taken, taken up, or when he, when he died. Joshua was about 80. Everybody else was probably under 40 because the generation that left uh, Egypt all perished in the wilderness over the last 40 years. So Moses is three times the age of everybody else. His face glows after he meets with the Lord and walks around with his veil. How do you replace that guy? But does the Lord not know our needs? Has he not always been the one who provided for us? After all, who was Moses, really? Well, 40 years earlier, he was just an 80-year-old, has-been shepherd when the Lord called him, terrified to go back to Egypt. Who was Elijah? Just a normal man, James assures us, with a nature like ours. All their gifts, all their abilities, all the blessings they were to God's people, that was all God doing it. That was all the Lord, all the time, working through them. Elijah didn't cause it to not rain. God did. Elijah didn't bring down fire from heaven. Any of those times, it was God. It was God who was feeding him, sustaining him all that time. Elijah was just a man with a nature like ours. And so it is with everyone in the church who has been a blessing to you in years past. 
Everything that they offered you, all the blessings, it came through God. It was from God through them. Our God is still here, still mighty to save, and He doesn't go away. He remains with us always. This is what God said when Moses died. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So it was with Elisha. He, after Elijah goes up, down comes drifting Elijah's mantle. He tears his clothes in two pieces. He puts on Elijah's clothes instead. And he stands at the bank of the Jordan and he strikes the water. And as he did, he asks the crucial question. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? That is the point. Not where is Elijah. Where is God? Where is Elijah's God? That is the question. That is the right question. Is the Lord's mercy toward us tied to one generation of leaders, or does he continue to be with us always? Where is the Lord? He remains. And when Elisha strikes the water, the river divides again, as it had with Elijah, as it had with Moses, as it had with Joshua. And all the sons of the prophets knew as soon as they saw Elisha walking back by himself, wearing Elijah's clothes, walking through the river on dry land, they know that God is still with them. They say the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. Joshua 3, 7, when a uh, when Joshua was about to cross the Jordan River, God said this, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. It is the same thing here. God is showing he is not leaving his people. He's just taking away one servant. He remains. As it was with Moses and Joshua, so it is with Elijah and Elisha. And they all knew, despite the fact that their leader was gone, God had not forsaken them. God's power, God's mercy is not limited to some place or to some time or to some merely human leader. He is with us always. His mercies are new every morning. And brothers and sisters, if that is true in all the big changes in the church, is it not also true in every little change as well? When you lose someone that you love, when you lose your job, when you get a new disease, a new sickness that you struggle with, when people betray you, when you lose friends, in every change, does he not remain faithful? It's true. He, is, he does. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not change 
or leave us or forsake us. He is with us to the end of the age. Well, then remember to put your trust in him and not in some human leader. One day, your favorite preacher will pass away. One day, the person who led you to Christ will pass away if, if they've not already passed away. One day, your spiritual mentor will be gone. That person who, when trouble strikes, that's the person you want to call first. One day, they won't be there anymore. And you'll wonder, well, who do I call now? God will remain faithful when that day comes. But look beyond them. Look to the God that they served. He is faithful. He is good. In every change, he faithful will remain. And can we not be more sure of this than Joshua was, than Elisha was? For God has shown more faithfulness to us in ways greater than Joshua or Elisha could see. God sent us not simply another great man of God. God himself came down at Christmas. He sent his own dear son. How appropriate that his ministry would begin and take over for John the Baptist right here at the Jordan, this very same Jordan River. And there, God gave him more than a double portion of John's spirit. He was given the Holy Spirit beyond measure. And by the power of an indestructible life, he is able to save forever all those who come to God through him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We, we say our wedding vows, for better or for worse, or richer and poorer, in sickness and in health. None of these things limit God. He is just as extensive in life and in death, beyond death for God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, unlike Elijah, who was carried up to heaven by God, Jesus ascended into heaven by his own power. After he ascended, you remember his disciples who saw him go up into heaven, received his Holy Spirit poured out from the Father. Jesus said, John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that is the Spirit, that he may be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in that way, Jesus Christ is with us, with you, brothers and sisters, to the end of the age. Isn't that a comfort? He was the hero in Moses' day. He was the hero in Elijah's day. Now Elijah is gone. But where is the Lord Jesus, the God of Elijah? He remains. And in every change, he remains faithful. So in every change, brothers and sisters, put your trust in him. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, help us not to place our assurance in mere people, but look to the fountain that never runs dry. Help us to look to you 
in all our struggles, all our changes in life. And thank you for remaining with us, for giving us your presence, and being the God not just of Abraham, but of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and to every generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.